I am excited about this uh, series that our church is going through in the book of Revelation. And for this class, I've spent a lot of time with both Patrick and Derek, uh, and I'm excited to get into as much of that class as I can, and I would encourage you uh, to do the same. I know you'll really benefit from it. One of the things Revelation does is that it encourages Christians not to tap out. You know, that term means not to give up in mixed martial arts. One of the ways that you can lose to your opponent is by tapping the mat and you're, you're signaling to the ref, uh, I give up, uh, I'm, I'm out. Usually you're in some sort of a vulnerable position, inescapable position uh, where you're foreseeing much more pain and suffering. And so in that moment, uh, you give up, you tap out. And my family enjoys watching a series called Alone on Netflix. Uh, in this series, they use the same phrase. There's 10 contestants that are sent out into the, the forest or the woods somewhere, different seasons, they're in different places. One was in the Arctic. And they're testing their survival skills to see which one can last, survive the longest, completely alone. Uh, they take a few items and they take uh, their own camera, so they're self-filming, so they don't even have a camera crew with them. And they are out there just seeing how long can they provide for their own food, uh, water, safety, shelter, um, fending off wild animals. And as you watch the season, it's, it's interesting uh, from the comfort of a couch to watch them go through this and see what is it, what's going to be the temptation for different ones of them to give up. Uh, so they have an emergency phone and they'll press a button on it and they'll, they'll have to say, this is Dan and I'm officially tapping out. Uh, and it could be starvation, it could be hypothermia, uh, it could be the fear of the animals, the grizzly bears, the mountain lions, the wolves that they have encountered. Uh, a lot of times it's a mental battle uh, and it's the loneliness. You'll start to hear them say, I'm really missing my family. And instantly our, my boys and I look at each other and like, okay, they're done. As soon as they start talking about missing home, uh, usually that's a, a trigger for them to, to tap out, to give up. But there are different, there are different things for each of them. Do you ever feel like giving up? I think it's, it's probably safe to say that most in here feel some degree of weariness. Some, some temptation to just quit. Is, it, is this all worth it? And, and Revelation is, is writing to Christians who are facing that temptation to quit, to give up, to, to tap out. And there's, there's a lot of different ways Christians can face that temptation. Maybe it's just you're kind of lulled into a spiritual boredom, an apathy. Um, you're just kind of going through the motions. You're still here. You're still coming to church. You're going through these routines, but internally you're just checked out. We can feel that. They can feel that pull. Or maybe it's more sinister. Maybe it is the allure of the world's temptations, either sinful things or just, just the life that this world can promise. 
um, money, that kind of financial stability. Maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's the allure of sexual temptation. Um, maybe it's just prestige or popularity or being accepted. Lots of different things that are just gradually pulling you, tugging your heart away from God, and you feel that drift happening. Or maybe it's, maybe it's what you believe. You're, you're more and more tempted by the world's philosophy. You're your mind is being shaped by the, the ideas that you, that you encounter in the world. And little by little, your faith in Christianity, your faith in God is getting chipped away at. You're tempted toward belief in false teaching or rejecting the faith. Or, or maybe all those are, are, are not where you're struggling. You actually feel like, I've, I've been trying. I've been holding the line, I've been holding the faith, but yet the opposition that you're facing feels strong. Uh, at work, maybe at home in your family, maybe you're the only believer in your family. Uh, you, you're, you're facing different levels of opposition. Maybe you wouldn't call it persecution, but, but you at least feel like I'm just alone. The only one who believes this. I'm tired of feeling weird. I'm tired of, I'm tired of being the one who's who's believing these things and holding to these things and being ridiculed and mocked because of these things. And, and that's just kind of weighing on you. Or, or just the difficulties and suffering, maybe not suffering for your faith, but just the hardships of life has you beat down. Marriage is hard. Family's a disaster. Finances are in shambles. Your health is a mess. If friends' health, friends' relationships are just, just difficult and for whatever reason, maybe someone even walked in today thinking, this is my last shot. I'm going to give God and church one last try, and I just feel like I'm going to quit. And, and it's, it's these kind of temptations that Revelation seeks to address. It's this kind of of cosmic battle, the battle that we are all facing, that Revelation is the perfect antidote for, that it is, it's exactly what we need. It's exactly what God intended this book to do, is to come alongside believers and say, don't quit. It's, it's worth it. Continue. Don't, don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep enduring. We sing a song based on Revelation. It says, do you feel the world is broken? We respond by saying, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But then there's hope. It says, but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? And that's what we cling to as well. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. We long for these things. I want us to go ahead and turn to Revelation. We're going to read the first eight verses and use this as a way to help us uh, understand how to read this book, why we need this book. And even just in these first eight verses, there are, there are some cues to help us see how the book of Revelation is aimed at helping you persevere, helping you endure. 
Let's read starting in verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of our God. We're going to see in, this, in these three verses three things, three truths that we need to reorient our perspective on the world remember the sovereignty of our God, that our God is sovereign king, and then to respond in obedience and faith. So let's look at that first one. We need to reorient our perspective on the world. The, the first word in, in this book is the word revelation or the word apocalypse uh, in the Greek when we hear the word apocalypse today or apocalyptic, we immediately think of a genre of movies, of books. We're thinking of end times. We're thinking of meteorites, aliens, zombies, nuclear disaster, climate disaster, lots of different things uh, that are going to bring an end to civilization as we know it and then, and then the, our human type of uh, imagination of what life will be like after those different disasters come. And we think of that because apocalypse has, has become equated with the end of the world. But that's not actually what it originally meant, at least not in its fullness. It's, it is the word, the reason in English, our English Bible it says revelation is it's, it is that word behind it that's an unveiling. It's, it's a revealing. And, and there was a kind of literature that this isn't the only book that is apocalyptic. Uh, Isaiah has some portions. Zechariah has some portions. Ezekiel. Daniel is probably the, the one in the Old Testament that has uh, the, the strongest section of apocalyptic literature outside the, the Christian canon. Uh, in Jewish literature, there were also apocalyptic texts as well. I'm going to put a definition up on the screen by Collins that says apocalypse was intended to interpret present earthly circumstances in the light of the supernatural world and of the future and to influence both the understanding and the behavior of the audience 
by means of divine authority. And so there, there is an, an unveiling, a revealing of a perspective that was previously unknown to us, that we could not have, have gained otherwise. But it's aimed at, at showing the supernatural world and the future, not, not just for our entertainment, not just for our knowledge, but it's aimed at, at shaping both our understanding of the present world and our behavior. So, so this, is what, this is what this revelation that John is receiving here is all about. It's an unveiling. It's a, it's a different perspective. And you can see as he's, he's writing to these churches that are struggling, to Christians that are struggling, how having this heavenly perspective, this opening up of our eyes to the world as it is, as it truly is, this cosmic battle that's going on behind the scenes can be helpful Paul does this in Ephesians 6. I'll put these verses up. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And now he's, he's going to, to tell them as, as they face opposition, as they face difficulty, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Even those, even those first two words there of rulers and authorities uh, have this Old Testament uh, root or foundation that's talking about the spiritual realm, the, the authorities and, and rulers of the spiritual realm, those dark forces. And Paul's saying that's where our true battle is, behind the scenes. You might think that your main problem is, is with what you can see, but behind all of that, there is a cosmic battle. Not, not, not a dualism of equal forces of good and evil, but there, there are forces of good and evil. It's just that we know that good is no match at all. There, there is no contest at all with the, the forces of evil. And so there's, there's a perspective here that Revelation is meant to give us as a church, as his people. One, some of the, the features of apocalyptic literature that you see as you study both Revelation, but then all these other uh, books and letters that are in this genre also, you'll see that it's highly symbolic. Um, even in the way that this, this opening says that he made it known. In, 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 that, in that word behind made it known is this idea of, of signs, um, the signs and, and wonders. And so there's a lot of symbolism here that we're going to find in this book. One of those factors is the, the numbers, numerology that shows up. We'll, we'll find a lot of fours, a lot of sevens, a lot of twelves. Uh, and they're not meant uh, always just to be taken as, as literal, but they, these, these have roots in Old Testament meaning. And so the, the word four, the, or the number four, is, is showing us kind of this, this vastness of creation. And so when it talks about the four corners of the earth, it's not meant to teach us that the, the earth is a flat rectangle that has four corners. Um, we know it's a flat disc. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Um, and, and so it's, but it's meant to show us that this, this totality of uh, the universe, totality of God's creation. Um, we find sevens, the seven spirits, right in, in this passage. We're going to get to our, our God and what we see in his 
this vision of our God here. But, but one of the things to note is that in this Trinitarian um, passage right here in these verses where it says, it speaks of the Father, the one who is, who was, who is to come, and then the seven spirits, and then Jesus Christ. And so right here at the very beginning, we see John's not confused, thinking that there are seven Holy Spirits, but seven is this number of perfection, of, of completion. And so is this image of the, the seven spirits is this uh, is actually speaking of the, the character and the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In, in, in Revelation, we see seven churches, seven letters, seven spirits, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven bowls, seven hills, and seven kings. A uh, lot of sevens that we're going to read as we go through here and, and seeing how John's given this vision and the meaning behind those things as we go through it. But there's a battle between good and evil that shows up in all apocalyptic literature, this, this cosmic behind-the-scenes battle. One, one of the things that will help us as well is, is where, where it says that, that John testified to what he saw and so that, that helps us as well think through how these visions come. Uh, as, you, as we read through Revelation, there are some bizarre visions. There are some difficult to interpret, crazy, imaginative visions of beasts and locusts and multiple heads and animals covered with eyes and uh, beasts with, with different animal body parts. And as we see these different things here in Revelation, we're seeing what John saw. And, and at different times, he turned and he saw this. And it's not always chronological. Uh, the book opens and, and there we see this vision of God. And we're going to, to see some of the judgments. Uh, and then, then it kind of backs up and it tells this story of the Son of Man coming into this world. And it, it tells how he was born of this woman. Um, and then there was this great dragon that was seeking to devour him. And so we're going back in time to see Jesus as he came here into the earth. And then it says that he was snatched away, speaking of his ascension and how, how he's victorious over the dragon. And, and we see also just as you read through it, you see these several different times we're faced with this, these descriptions of final Judgment And all these things are cueing us in to see uh, it's not meant to just be read strictly as chronology, but there, there's an unveiling of a perspective of who God is, what he's doing at the, in this world that this genre is giving us. So why? Well, it appeals to our imagination, captures minds and hearts of reader. It evokes something. As you... As you as you see this, imagine yourself as John and you're actually seeing some of these images. What that would do to your emotions, what it would do to your heart uh, as, as it's told in this way. It's different from just the, the straight uh, didactic doctrine. Um, John could have said, God could have given him just a, a, another epistle that's just telling us the truth that that Satan was seeking to devour Christ, uh, but speaking of this dragon or speaking later of this beast or speaking of the world's systems as this bloodthirsty prostitute, it, it, it reminds us of what seems alluring to us, what seems attractive to us has this 
sinister core behind it. And it, so it, it evokes emotional response in us. We need to reorient our perspective on the world. I said that this was, this was good for Christians, helping us not to give up. Uh, having a different perspective helps you not give up. It, in the, that Alone series, one of the things that's hard for them is they have no perspective. They don't know what's happening with any of the other contestants. They don't know how long to wait. They don't know if they're down to the last two. They don't know that. They're, they're, they're in their head, they're trying to think through, I don't know if I'm going to win this or not. There might be all nine. And, and they, they, hearing them describe it, they think, oh, that other person, they're, they're probably just well-fed, doing awesome, have a wonderful shelter. They're not facing any of these hardships that I am. And sometimes if they just had that perspective, if they just said, hey, that person actually is about to quit, that might give them the endurance to hold on longer. Just, that's just a silly illustration, though. But lots of different ways that we could describe. If, you, if we just knew, if we saw the world, the way that God sees it, if we, if we thought about our lives, our short lives, and in comparison to the perspective of eternity and the future that is coming and the reward that is coming, when we have that perspective, it helps us to endure. Next thing that we see here is that we need to remember that our God is sovereign king. This opening prologue is filled with descriptions of who our God is. It's revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him. Um, so, the way that the CSB and ESV use that is revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's, I think it kind of both views are in view here that this revelation comes from Jesus Christ, but it's also revealing stuff about Jesus Christ. It, it shows us a, a different perspective on who Jesus is. We, we see that even if, even if it weren't just that little phrase there later, uh, it says that John was testifying to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. And so John's testifying here. This, he's revealing things about who our God is. It's, as it describes God later, I already referenced it, it says he's the one who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, we might think naturally we'd say it a different way. In other, other places in the Bible, it does show up of, of almost chronologically. He was and he is and he is to come. But John here switches that around and is emphasizing the presence the, that God is with us right now. Think about even how that would help the church to endure. That This is the God who is. And yes, he's eternal. He was and he always will be. And then the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, Jesus is described as the faithful witness, the faithful martyr, the firstborn from the dead. That gives us hope as well. He's, he's the firstborn, the first one who has risen. Um, and that song that, on that day that we just sang says, um, I know on that final day I'll rise as Jesus rose or something, something like that. And so the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope that we too will rise. And then, and then hear this kingdom language. This is helpful for us as we think about this book as well. That right here at the beginning, there, there are cues that the kingdom of Jesus has already begun. 
It's inaugurated. We saw this come up in Acts as well, as, as this kingdom begins when, when Jesus died and rose again and is ascended and seated on his throne and he's, he's ruling. And in the book of Acts, we talked about how this is the, um, the acts of the risen king, Jesus, who is sovereign. And, and we see that here as well. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Later on, it says to him, be glory and dominion. Dominion has this uh, idea as well of ruling and reigning and authority. He has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. That's, that's true. We, his people, he's, he's made us a kingdom. And there are parts of this book that are gloriously in our future. Um, we are awaiting that kingdom to come in its final consummation when all things will become new, the new heavens and the new earth. But there are also, if we just read this book as future, we're going to miss so much of what God has for us in this book for now, for the present. God is the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come the Almighty. Uh, we're just skimming through these things, but one of the things Revelation will do is give us a glorious, bigger, grander view of our sovereign God who is ruling and reigning as king. If you were on a, a picture of a first grade basketball team, um, first graders, they'd be six, I think, six or seven they're on a basketball team, and this team is just, they're looking at their opponents, and they're like, we can't win. There's no, there's no way. Uh, we, can't, we can't beat them. Look how good they are. And the unique thing, though, about this, this team that thinks that they're going to lose is that they have LeBron James on their team. For some reason, uh, I don't know the rules for sure of why this was allowed, but they, they've got LeBron James, and this team didn't know it. They, they think, well, he's probably not any good. And so they're, they're looking at this other team. They're looking at their opponent, and they're thinking, like, we can't do this. But to anyone else who knows how good LeBron is, they know they're going to be just fine. The other team doesn't stand a chance. And, and even greater is that we can start to look at the satanic oppression in this world, the difficulties, all those, all those temptations that I referenced at the beginning that can tempt us to give up. It can, do you ever feel sometimes like Christianity's losing? Church is dying, church is dead, God is dead. These are, these are things that we'll, you read and, and they surface. It's not just now. This, this has surfaced several different times. It's, it's so silly for us to think that that's even possible because we have God on our side. He is the sovereign and the ruling and the reigning king and all the forces of evil combined, uh, human and demonic and, and all of these spiritual evil forces that, that raise up their armies and look like they could defeat Christians. They don't have a chance. And, and even, Revelation will tell us, even if that means our death, 
Our death is actually the way that we show that we overcome. And it's, it's through the sacrifice of the lamb. It's through his death that he overcame. And it's, it, it often is through the death of believers. That, that doesn't mean we lose. Uh, there's, there's another perspective of when we see the greatness of our God, we realize there's no contest here. That causes us to endure. One last thing that we'll see from this text is that we need to respond with obedience and faith. Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Twice here we, we hear the word prophecy. Uh, this this is another aspect of the genre of Revelation. It's, it is apocalypse, and it's prophecy, and it's letter. We're going to see that next as well, that it's, it's written to real churches. It's, it's written that to, meant to be a circular letter uh, that, was, that was sent to these churches to encourage them. Uh, in, in prophecy, though, this is going to give us an idea that to understand the book of Revelation, we need to understand its roots in the Old Testament. Uh, some have said over 68% of Revelation is Old Testament allusion, uh, meaning not direct quotes, but references to these images. And so maybe most of these bizarre images that we find in Revelation have Old Testament references, Old Testament roots that, that are going to help us. Some, sometimes we're tempted to read the, Reve the, the symbols in Revelation. Every, everyone sees that there are symbols. Um, no one takes the book of Revelation strictly literal. Um, everyone sees these symbols, but sometimes we, when we look to see what is this symbolizing, we're tempted to look at the news. We're tempted to look at the newspaper and say, maybe it's this. Um, one thing that would really help us understand is if we see a lot of these references and symbols have a lot of historical Old Testament background. And so lampstands and horns and beasts and, and all these different things that, that we find in Revelation uh, are rooted in these various passages in the Old Testament. And that will give us an idea. That will, that will help us. Sometimes Revelation actually tells us what these symbols mean. And so, so then as we, we kind of trace those through and we see that Revelation is this, uh, Brian Tabb calls it, the capstone of Old Testament prophecy. It's, it's what all of it's been pointing to. Even, even here in, in verse 3 where it says, this prophecy which was written because the time is near. And, and later at the end of Revelation it says, don't seal up the words of this prophecy because the time is near. Uh, just how that's rooted and so closely parallels this passage in Daniel where Daniel is actually told to seal up the words of his prophecy because it's, it's not for his generation, it's for a, a future generation. And so we see these different Old Testament references coming out where when we read the book of Re Revelation, we should be expecting to see some of the fulfillments of a lot of these types. A lot of the Old Testament um, promises are pointing toward Christ. All of them find their yes, their fulfillment in Christ. And Revelation shows us how that happens and how that gets applied to the church and how that's leading toward this final fulfillment of his coming kingdom. But, but even in the prophecies in the Old Testament, 
we, we think prophecy and we think prediction, and that's part of it. There are some, there, there's some predicting or foretelling that prophecies do, but a lot of the prophets, even in the Old Testament, was, was preaching or forthtelling. They were, they were calling God's people to repent, and so they, they were pointing towards some things in the future, but most of the prophecy was this call to the church to respond to it in obedience. And then just even thinking about how these are written, these letters. In, in two weeks, we'll, we'll look through the letters to the seven churches. And, and a lot of the things that I opened my introduction with, those are the problems that are facing those churches. It's false teaching, it's moral corruption, it's persecution. And the call to them over and over again is to hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to overcome, to endure, to conquer. So we see the, this revelation is written uh, to these early churches, not, not written in 2022, uh, written to these early churches, but it's for us. It, it, we've, we, we're drawing the, the applications from it as well. Dennis Johnson, I'll close with a couple quotes here. He says, Our interpretation of revelation must be driven by the difference God intends to make in the life of his people. Even if we could explain every phrase, identify every allusion to the Old Testament, Scripture, or Greco-Roman society, even if we could trace every interconnection and illumine every mystery in this book, okay, so we, we've, we're fully comprehending it, fully understanding it, but this, he says, and yet we are silenced by the intimidation of public opinion terrorized by the prospect of suffering, enticed by affluent Western culture's promise of security, comfort, and pleasure, then we would not have begun to understand the book of Revelation as God wants us to. The dragon's assault on the church comes in different forms from different quarters and different times and places. Our only safety lies in seeing the ugly hostility of the enemy clearly and clinging fast to our champion and king, Jesus. Similarly, Nancy Guthrie says, the biggest challenge of the book of Revelation is not understanding it. The biggest challenge is to make the adjustments in our lives that are needed to live in light of it. It's really, really helpful. That'll shape the way that we read this book as, as we're asking this question. What's the, what is the response that God is seeking to evoke in us? To respond with obedience and faith as we have our perspective changed, reoriented, seeing this world as God wants us to see it, this greater view of who he is, how he is ruling and reigning. That causes us to cling to him, resist the temptations of this world, be willing to, to go through persecution, even unto death, because there is a final victory that's coming. There's a glorious hope that is coming. And so we hang on. Let's pray.